Let's pray. Father, as we look into your word, help us to see your truth. Purify us. Help us in our lives to desire to strive to please you, to be obedient to your word. Help us to glorify you this morning, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Nehemiah chapter 10. Getting closer to the end of the book. I don't like taking my glasses off because then I can't look you in the eyes. See if they're open or not. Two weeks ago, we were finishing up chapter 9 of Nehemiah, and we left off at verse 37. So today we're going to pick up in the last verse of chapter 9 of Nehemiah, Nehemiah 9.38. Now because of all this, That's as far as we're going. Because of all of this. You've heard preachers that say when there's a therefore, you stop and you see what it's there for. All right, this this, is kind of like that. It's not quite therefore, but it's now because of all of this. Because of all of what? All right, quick review. Chapter 7. Oh boy, he's going all the way back to chapter 7. I hope you didn't set that roast to be done until about 1 o'clock today, all right? Chapter 7, we have a list of names. If you look in verse 61 and 62, there were some that were excluded because they couldn't prove they were of Jewish descent. And the next three verses after that, some were discontinued or not allowed to be priests because they could not prove their lineage. And the idea of chapter 7, the the listing of names, was to to separate the Jews from the non-Jews. Those that could come in the city and those that weren't allowed. Those that didn't have a right to be there. To be separated. And then as we get into chapter 8. See, that didn't take too long. Chapter 8. We start, remember this, seventh, seventh month, first day, Feast of the Trumpets. The people said, Ezra, bring out the Word of God. Read us the Word of God. So they did. The Holy Spirit brought about conviction. But in verse 9 of Nehemiah chapter 8, Nehemiah and Ezra and the, and the Levites are saying, Hey guys, forget the weeping and the, 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 the repentance today, which sounds like a funny thing. But he said, forget it for today because this day is about God. It's not about you. It's about God. Repentance will come later. So they set aside the crying and the repentance, and then you've got on the the uh, tenth day of that seven month, you've got the day of atonement. Again, it's about what God did for them. Then on the fifteenth day of that month, you've got the feast of uh, the tabernacles or the feast, the festival of booths, where they would make out of uh, pine branches or, or palm branches and other trees there that are listed there. They would make they would make little huts on top of their house. And they would live there for the week of the festival to remind them of the time that God brought them through the wilderness for 40 years. They had to leave their microwaves and their, you know, their iPods and everything downstairs and live on the booth 
up top of the house for, for the seven, eight days of the festival. But this was about God and focusing on what he had done for them. And then as we start chapter 9 and verse 1, it says on the 24th day of that seventh month, they got back to their repentance. They got back to wearing sackcloth and ashes and confessing to God their sin. And again in verse 2 of that chapter, it talks about being said they separated themselves from all the foreigners. There's a reason for that. In the scripture that, that Dick read for us in Corinthians, there's to be a separation. There, there should not be fellowship with darkness and lightness. The one drives out the other. Both can't coexist. We'll talk about that more later. But then in the, the next couple of verses, the, the Levites, and, and just so we get this straight, all priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. Okay? There's a distinction there. All priests are Levites, but not all Levites were priests. But in verse six, 5 and 6 here, we start with the prayer. And chapter 9 is, is a prayer to God. It's the longest recorded prayer in His Word. But they, they go back through their history, the, the Levites do in this prayer, about all that God did for them, bringing them out of Egypt. In verse 9, they were in great distress. They were delivered from Egypt. And then it talks about the, the cycle over and over again, about how they sin. They, they complain against God, and God punishes them. They've, they ask for forgiveness. He restores them to fellowship, and then they start to cycle all over again. Repeatedly through this chapter and in this prayer, they said that God repeats to them that he will never leave them or forsake them that he will provide them the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire to lead them. And even in their sin, and even when they, they were far away from fellowship with God, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire was still there to lead them. Their God never left them or forsook them. But the cycle just keeps going on and on. And you, in, in chapter 9, you look at uh, the end of verse 28, it says, Many times... You rescued them according to your compassion and admonished them in order to turn them back to your law. This happened over and over again. But just quickly, the overview of, of chapter 8 is we looked first at God's greatness in creation. Then we saw his goodness and, and repeatedly and what we just mentioned, all the, the good things that he did for them. And then at the end of the chapter from verse 31 on, I believe it was, Verse 32 to the end of the chapter, we see, we see God's grace. And I would say that we, I mean, you, you know, you like the alliteration, God's greatness, God's goodness, and God's grace. I would say in that last part of the chapter, even more than his grace, is we see his mercy in not giving them what they deserve for their, their sin and their rebellion against God. Now we get to the last verse of chapter 9. Now because of all of this, and that's, that's what we're talking about. We're, we're getting to this point. Is, is the conviction of the Holy Spirit, their, their confession of their sin in this prayer in chapter 9? Now, because of all of this, we are making an, an agreement in writing. Again, verse 38 of chapter 9. We are making an agreement in writing, and on the sealed document are the names of our leaders, our Levites, and our priests. 
We got 40, excuse me, 84 names on this document. Our Declaration of Independence had 56 names. Men that were willing to put it all on the line for freedom's sake in our nation. Here we have, and these are just the leaders. Obviously, the, if those 56 men that signed the Declaration of Independence had the support of their states. They were delegates of their states. So there was a lot more people in, their, in the states that agreed with what they were doing. But they were representing those people. And here, these 84 names represent the, the, all the tribes and people of the Jews. We have 22 priests, 17 Levites, and that's that distinction I, I made a few minutes ago. 44 leaders and heads of homes, and Nehemiah. Now, when I study, sometimes if I... I if, if I have a question and something, and none of my commentators even address it, I'm like, okay, am I so simple that, that they, they didn't even think this silly question was even worth asking? Or is it so difficult that none of them wanted to address it because they couldn't come up with the right answer? I'm not sure which this is, but I'm just really confused as to why Ezra's name is not on this list. It has absolutely nothing to do with anything else, but Nehemiah is the first name on that list, and Ezra's name is not here. And that, I, that, that's one of those questions to, you know, put in the back of my memory. I, when I get to heaven, I'm sure I'm really not going to care, but I'd be curious to ask God, why, wasn't, why didn't Ezra sign this document? He was the one that led the revival. He, he opened the scriptures and read to them. The Holy Spirit brought the conviction, but Ezra was reading the Word of God. Anyhow, that's just sidebar, sorry. That's two, you know, my extra nickels worth or something. But these men were willing to stand up for the truth. And just, just having come through and listened to the Levites pray this prayer in chapter 9. And all, all the blessings of the Lord, and yet at the same time, Remembering their sin and that cycle. Sin and judgment and then confession and blessing from the Lord. It's a good thing we're all more steady than that. None of us have that cycle in our lives, right? We're just straight ahead all the way. Yeah, okay. Enough said. <laughs> we get to verse 28. After the list of names. Now, now these people, these, these 84 men that signed this document, most of them, unlike the signers of the Declaration of Independence, most of them were not rich, wealthy men. Who, who, who got left behind? Other, other than the group that came back with Zerubbabel, the group that came back with Ezra, and the group that came back from captivity with Nehemiah, who, who was the core group and the, the largest part of the, the, the population of Jerusalem? The dumb, ugly ones. The Anawim. Remember that? The Anawim. The dumb, ugly ones got left. The pretty smart ones they dragged off because they would be a benefit to their kingdom. So mostly what we're working with here is the Anawim. So these folks are poor to begin with. Physically poor. But they're willing to put anything and everything they have on the line. And we're going to look at what they're putting on the line for. Verse, starting in verse, I'm going to read 28 to, to 31 
for starters. Now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all those who had separated themselves from the people. The scripture that Dick read in 2 Corinthians. And as we look back here in chapter 2, verse 9, they separated themselves from the people of the land to the law of God. Their wives, their sons, and their daughters, all those who had knowledge and understanding. They understood what they were doing. They understood what they were signing. They are joining with their kinsmen, their nobles, and are taking on themselves a curse and an oath to walk in God's law. That's the weight behind this. The Declaration of Independence signers put their necks on the line literally because they could have been hung. But these fellows here, they were taking on themselves a curse and an oath to walk in God's law. Several of the commentators strongly recommend that you don't make an oath with God. Because of the price you'll pay if you don't keep it. How willing are you to stick to it? To stick with it. So it was a curse and an an oath to walk in God's law. Because if you broke that oath, boy, look out. Which was given the, the uh, to walk in God's law, which was given through Moses. I'm in verse 29 of, of Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 29 in the middle. Which was given through Moses, God's servant, and to keep and to observe all the commandments of God our Lord and his ordinances and his statutes. Now, everything else that we're going to look underneath the rest of today, the, the, the things that they're supposed to do, bring us right back to that. It's called obedience. Obedience to God's word. To keep and to observe all the commandments of God our Lord and his ordinances and his statutes. These other things are are things that are supposed to, it's kind of like at the end of the the message, you always try to have application. Okay? How how is this going to change your life this week? How next week are you going to be more like God because of what you heard today from his word? Well, the whole message today is application, but it all takes us right back to God's word, to his commandments of God our Lord and his ordinances and his statutes. How many times in our lives do we think we know better than God? How many times do we take God down off the throne and put ourselves up there? Well, we won't do that if we follow his ordinances and his statutes. We will leave him on the throne where he belongs. We will humble ourselves, just as these men did in in our Declaration of Independence as well. Thinking of Philippians 2, the the mind of Christ, that, that he humbled himself, that these men put other people before themselves. They put their country before themselves. And here, these guys are, are telling God, we are going to put you before ourselves. We are going to obey your laws. And we are going to obey your statutes. Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgment of the Lord, excuse me, the judgments of the Lord are true. 
They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them thy servant is warned. In keeping of them, there is great reward. There are, we've talked about this. There are benefits to being obedient to God's word. There are health benefits to being obedient to God's word. The number of diseases that you will avoid if you are obedient to God's word. There are benefits. His word is true. It's righteous. It's pure. It's lovely. It's it's what we need to pour ourselves into. Now let's go back up to verse 28. Did I ever finish? I don't think. I've got to finish reading. I never even made it just reading through to verse 31. My apologies. Let's go back to 30 and finish reading here. And that we will not give our daughters to the people of the land or take their daughters for our sons. As for the people of the lands who bring wares or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or a holy day. We will forgo the crops of the seventh year and the exaction, the exaction of every debt. Remember, every one of those things that they were going to follow goes right back to God's law, goes back to his statutes. God, we, we talked a few weeks ago, we know what God expects of us. Micah 6.8. We, we, it's not a secret what God wants us to do. He tells us, how to live righteously. He tells us how to, how to walk with Him. It's to humble ourselves and leave Him on the throne and we submit and come under His authority in every aspect of our life. Every aspect of our life. Oh, no, not the ones that are just easy and comfortable to. But we need to come under His authority in every aspect. They separated themselves in verse 28. All those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, and all who had knowledge and understanding, down to verse 30. And we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land. This is the first thing that they would or would not do in response to God's law. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. That marriage thing. To leave and cleave. As an act of love, we separate ourselves to our spouse to the exclusion of all others. We're to be a one woman man and a one man woman. That's God's law. That's the perfect law. And in that, you will reap benefits if you live that way. Total commitment motivated by love. They say Solomon was the wisest man in the world, and I think for a while he was. But then he got pretty stupid. I mean, really stupid. And it wasn't that the reason of separation is not about race has nothing to do with race. It has everything to do with the relationship to God. Because why did Solomon end up his life in the pits? 
Because the women that he married, all thousand of them, (laughs) dragged him away from God because they whined and sniveled until they got Solomon to worship their gods and he did not worship the true God. That's why we're supposed to follow God's word. That's why we are to be separated. That's why are we, we are to be separated from, let me keep my, my picture here, from God, from the world to God. Remember, God stands here, we stand next to him, and the world's over there. As the world keeps sliding further away from God, we shouldn't move any further away from God than we are. But our tendency is to keep our 30 paces from the world, but as they slide further from God, we go with them. But that's okay, because we're still 30 paces from the world. Wrong. Not okay. We need to stay right here next to God. And we do that by following his commandments, his ordinances, and his statutes. There's, 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 in, in those relationships, there was always conflict. Oh, people use the excuse, oh, I'll witness to her. I'll bring her to Christ. <clears throat> Wrong answer. You put a bad apple in a bushel, all those good apples in that bushel are not going to make that bad one good. Sorry, doesn't happen that way. It should be, and in, in, in people will use you know, the, the, the marriage thing, uh, the, I'm going to marry somebody unsafe so I can bring them to Christ. One, that's just direct disobedience to God's word. Flat out disobedience. But it says, the idea is, the question should not be, will this marriage work out? The question should be, will this marriage enjoy God's blessing and fulfill God's, God's will in my life? Only if I live according to his word and stay separated from the world to him. No fellowship between God and Baal. No fellowship between light and dark. I think of the, the time where the, the ark, the Philistines took the ark and they put it in the temple of Dagon. And Dagon fell right on his face. A, a dead stone. But they worshipped it as their God, the Philistines did. And in the presence of the ark of the Lord, boom. So they set it back up. Next day they came back, not only was it over on its face, but it was broken. Hallelujah! Couldn't stand, in the, a stone statue couldn't stand in the presence of the Almighty God. So if we choose in our lives to not separate ourselves from the world, we are in direct rebellion to God. And James, it says either you're a friend of the world or you're a friend of God. You can't be both. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't have friends in the world and witness to them of Christ. But they shouldn't be our primary go-to. We should have Christian people in our lives that we seek their advice and their counsel. Because we know that they'll be coming from the right perspective, from the right angle.
Verse 31. As for the peoples of the land who bring wares of any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath day or the holy day. The Sabbath was not about a a day of spiritual bondage to be tied down. But it was God giving us an opportunity to slow down. To reflect on Him. To reflect on spiritual things. And for one day of the week to not do business. And these people said... We will keep and observe all the commandments of the God our Lord and his ordinances and his statutes. He gives us the day to rest. People want a list of do's and don'ts, and and then you're going to become just like the Pharisees and set up 7,000 rules when God, God gave about 650. Not going to go there on what you can and can't do on Sunday. But whatever you do, you make a, or not do, you make a commitment to God and then you keep that. Don't judge me for what I do or don't do and I won't judge you for what you do or don't do. Because that's between you and God, it's between me and God, what I do or don't do on the Sabbath, on Sunday. Our, our Sabbath, as, as, as you want to say. But why not take advantage of a day? <laughs> How often during your week do you just take a deep breath and relax? Because we tend to go, go, go. On Sunday, it needs to be slow, slow, slow. So that we can spend time with Him, that we can relax. So that we can honor him and his commandments. Last part of verse 31. I love this part. This is almost as exciting as the exact number of days from when Artaxerxes signed the decree to Nehemiah saying you can go back and build a city. Remember we talked about, oh shoot, what is it, 1,700? I can't remember now. It's it's more than that. But the exact day that, that... King Artaxerxes wrote the decree, decree saying that, yes, Nehemiah could go back and start rebuilding the city to the exact day that Jesus Christ entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. That it was exactly foretold. And Daniel, somebody help me, was it 712 or 912, something like that? The exact, to the date. Oh, I get goosebumps. This one isn't quite that exciting, but it's still pretty cool. Okay? We will forgo the crops on the seventh year. God said, let the fields lay fallow on the seventh year. Let them have their rest. Why? Because I'm telling you to. I'm the creator. I know what my earth works best under what conditions. Give it a rest on the seventh year. But these are poor people, God. These are poor people, and you expect them to trust you for two years of crops? Because what they plant in that sixth year has to cover the normal cycle until the next, but there's not going to be a crop here. 
There's not going to be another crop until we can plant it and it grows there. There's two years there, God. You want us to have that kind of faith in you that you're going to provide? And in that, in that sixth year, our crops are going to be enough to see us through? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm telling you, God says. Trust me. I got it. I'll take care of you if you obey my law. Well, guess what? Seven times seven is 49. And every 50th year was to be the year of Jubilee. Well, they couldn't plant during that year. So wait a minute. You got the seventh year of the seventh seven. And now you've got the year of Jubilee. Now we're going to have to go three years without a crop? You want us to have that kind of faith, God? These are poor people here. Yes, they are making a commitment to obey the 70 or the seventh year and then the year of Jubilee that God will provide and meet the needs. Now, here's the, here's the fun part. The Jews were in captivity for about 70 years before the remnant started coming back. What is 70, those 70 years, if every one of those years was accounted for as a year, the, the seventh year of, of lay, laying stuff fallow? Seven times 70 is 490 which is about the number of years of their disobedience. God's, God's word talks about it. Turn with me real quick to 2 Chronicles 36. Just back towards the front of your Bible. Not a whole bunch of pages. 2 Chronicles 36, 21. I should have put a marker in there. There we go. Second Chronicles 36:21. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the month by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land has enjoyed its sabbaths all the days of its desolation it kept sabbath until 70 years were complete. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 29:10. For thus says the Lord, Jeremiah 29.10, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. Why, why 70 years? Because for 500 years, the Jews did not obey the seventh year of leaving it fallow, or the year of Jubilee. For almost 500 years, those, those celebrations of, of honoring God's word and not planting, who wouldn't want to hold your off? Come on! They didn't trust God. They didn't trust God to meet their needs and supplies, so we got to plant this year. We can't leave it fallow. 
We, we can't leave that, that crops not planted in this field. Their lack of faith and trust in God is why God dragged them off. We saw that in chapter 9 repeatedly of, of Nehemiah over and over again. Again, uh, Nehemiah 9, verse 28. Many times you rescued them according... It was many times. Repeatedly. They disobeyed. And he would have to bring them back. He gave them judges. And they'd follow the judge. And then the judge would die or move on. And they'd go right back to their sin. And he'd, he'd give them another judge. Over and over and over. And finally, he let them be dragged out. Since they, they couldn't follow him in the land, he said, you're going to act like the, the other nations. I'm going to let, you, let them drag you off. He didn't destroy them, but he dragged them off. And that 70 years was to be a time for the land to heal itself. God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. How cool is that? That those 70 years were given so that the land would heal itself. Of all the seventh years and the years of Jubilee and that 500 years that that it missed, the land missed that blessing of the Lord because the people kept working it because they didn't trust in God to supply and to meet their needs. Huh. I was hoping to get this next section in because I didn't want to start with it, but next week we're going to pick up and it's all about tithing. Just as a warning, so if you don't want to come next Sunday. I didn't pick the topic, okay? That's the next part of the scriptures that we're coming through. All right? And if you were your tithe was closer to 30%. Just to give you a heads up. (laughs) Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 29. Now I'll start at the top. Lord, you admonished them in order to turn them back to your law, yet they acted arrogantly and did not listen to your commandments, but sinned against your ordinances. Remember Psalm 19 and all the benefits of obeying God's law and that it's true and that it's righteous and that it's good and that it's sweeter than the honey? By which, again, Nehemiah 9.29 by which if a man observes them, he shall live. There is life and obedience to God's word. Keep and observe all the commandments of God our Lord and his ordinances and his statutes. The believer should not have fellowship with the non-believer. That's not, again... That's not meaning we don't witness to them and we're not friends to them. We need to be friends to the world. Give you an example of my daughter and working in the school in Marquette. She's the lunch lady. The kids love her. 
teachers when they have a kid acting up in their class will come and get my daughter out of the lunchroom to take and settle that kid down because they know that Jody is a safe space and that she loves them and cares for them. There are benefits to keeping and observing all of the commandments of God, our Lord. That, that fellowship, we need to be separate from the world, but separated to God, from the world, to God, in marriages, in business, in, in our best friends. And to keep the Sabbath, again, it's not given as bondage. It's given to be freeing to us, to be restful. And then to obey the Jews, we're going to leave the, the land fallow. And if you, if you have far, smart farmers today, I remember my grandpa. He, he would leave parts of his field now so that he could always have crops going. He, he would plant six-sevenths of his fields. But every year he would leave a different seventh fallow so that it had the time to, 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 to follow the principles given in God's word. My grandpa didn't even love the Lord, but he was a smart farmer, and he knew that there was wisdom in God's words. So where are you at today? How much of God's word do you let affect every portion of your life? Keep and observe all the commandments of God our Lord and the ordinances and his statutes. Father, we thank you for your word. Oh God, humble us. Help us to submit to you, to your leadership, to your direction in our lives. Help us to reap the benefits of obeying and living in your word. Help us to understand your plan for us. And again, Father, we want to thank you for the men and women who have given their lives for our country. Oh God, help us to turn back to you as a nation. Help us to cry out to you to confess our sins. Heal our land, Father. Heal our country. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. Have a good week.